I want you to flash through me. I want to be able to say like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But I can say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. And that somehow he could flash through my life and make an impression, an eternal impression on the lives of people. But as I quested this, I used to think what God would do is make me smarter or give me more knowledge or let my talents really come to bear and be sharp and, and have all this success come out of me. Little did I know that the cry to be great in God was a cry more for God to touch me internally than for Him to use me externally. And that the cry to be great for God was an invitation to uh, <laughs> well, let's read it. God messes with us. Shows us things about ourselves that are kind of scary. And needs to change some stuff in us. Change sometimes is so hard. Because sometimes we want, we want to be perfect for God. Not understanding just how fallen we are without Him. He's not real impressed with what you can do. He knows just how much of a mess up you are. And it takes some guts to look in the mirror and realize it ain't happening. That without Jesus, you're a punk. Say, I need God. You do. That you stop saying, I can do all things for you. And you start saying, I can't do anything without you, but with you I can do all things. And we leave the realm, the realm of being performers for God into the realm of being presenters to God so that we can walk out reflecting Him. It's hard to realize that We've, we've got to come to, to grips with the fact that we don't have much going for ourselves. We're kind of like the moon. Dark, empty, lots of craters. A lot of dust, cold. The only thing the moon has going for it is the sun. And you know, when you look, I'll never, never, never forget our kids when they were little. Every one of them would say this. They all said, look, Daddy, the moon is following me. A little Mr. Moon, Mr. Moon, remember? He's out there. The moon's a cool little guy. But you know, the only thing the moon has going for itself is the sun. And all it can hope to do is get in the right position. And if, if it can just get into the right position, it can get the whole moon deal happening. Huh? See, it doesn't have any light of its own. You may think it's shining, but it's not shining. All it's doing is reflecting borrowed light. The only hope we have of lighting this world is not by us cratering with glowing cratology or something, you know, with this crater thing or us trying to dust people. It's not about us. Hello? All we can hope to do is somehow position ourselves so that we catch the rays of God and somehow it bounces back. 
The only hope we have of glory is eternally borrowed life. And so I've, I've realized that if you're a new moon, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Dark. If you're a new moon, don't think, if you're not shining much, if you're not affecting your world much, don't think God's ticked with you. He knows that's the best you can do. If there's not much light around you, if there's not much change around you, if there's not much illumination into your world, God isn't expecting you to do that anyway. What we need to do is realize it's not about what we do externally. It's what we do inside to, to present ourselves to Him, to cast those rays to shine and moon the world. I don't know if that came quite right, but you, you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So one of the ways that we position ourselves to catch those rays to shine, don't you want the glory of God when you sing and when you play and when you, and when you live? Don't you want His glory? Well, see, it's about what happens in here. Here in John 17, Jesus is praying. And He prays about us and, and about His disciples. He said in verse 16, they're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. You know, you're not of this world. You've got a citizenship in heaven. There's, you may be a lot of darkness, but there's also something of God in you. We need to get the bushel off and let the light come. Let his light come to us. But he says, now watch this, sanctify. Everybody say sanctify. What does that word mean? It means to be set apart. To be different. He says, set them apart in the truth and then he says thy word is truth now watch this he says as you sent me into the world i also send them into the world and watch and for their sakes everybody say for their sakes he says for their sakes i sanctified or set apart myself that they also may be sanctified in truth watch this jesus is saying i set myself apart so that they could be set apart I set myself apart so that they could be set apart. The law of leadership is you can't take someone where you're not living. The law of leadership is if I want to mess with you, I've got to let God mess with me first. I want, to, I want them to be set apart to you, God. I want them to be set apart so because I do, I set myself apart to you. The law of leadership. If you want to touch others, let God touch you. Now Paul picks up on this when he's talking to Timothy, a young man in 1 Timothy chapter 4. A young man who's trying to affect people. He's trying to, to build this church. He's trying to minister to these people of God. And Paul gives them the secret of being great. How many want to be great? That's right. You should. For God. And he gives them this secret here. This is in 1 Thessalonians. I think. What did I say? First Timothy. I'm glad I said that. First Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this now. He says in verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness. See, he had some natural things going against him. But rather in your speech and your conduct and your love and your faith and your purity, show yourself as an example. And he says, Don't neglect your spiritual good. Verse 14. Then verse 15. It says, take pains with these things. Everybody say, take pain. Say it out loud. 
we usually don't want to take pains. But he says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident all. Whose progress? Timothy's progress, all right? Or our progress, watch. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, in other words, take pains with them again. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I've been ministering for a lot of years. And over the years I've said, God, oh please help me be more effective for you. And all the, every time I've prayed that prayer and to this day, one of the great secrets I've discovered is that if I'll take, see what I want to do is I want to take pains with watching everyone else's life. Watching everybody else's response. If I'm leading worship, I'm peeking to see whether they're getting into it or not. I'm looking for what they're doing. I want to pay attention to how they're living. But the challenge of leaders is to realize that when we lead people, we're not supposed to push them and coerce them, but we're supposed to go ourselves and let God do in us whatever it is we want God to do in them. Let God do stuff in us that we want God to do for, in them. See, there, there's a passion that Paul talks about here. He says, take pains with this. Pay close attention. He's talking about a passionate uh, desire to see your life growing. A passionate desire to make sure that you're excelling, that you're progressing, that you're taking pains with your doctrine, what you think, what you believe, how you act, your faith, your purity. You're checking it out. You're, you're trying to position internally to catch some of those rays because you want to touch the world around you. It kind of reminds me of, of Jacob in the Old Testament. He's the, his name meant usurper. And you remember he... He, he rips off his brother in the birthright. He, he's kind of a tricky guy. And when he's coming back after living with his father or his uh, father-in-law for some time, he's coming back and he meets this angel. And Jacob has a sense in his heart that he has a destiny. Jacob has a sense in his heart that he's significant. And yet up to that point in his life, things aren't going well and his whole character is not right. And so he meets this angel face to face. And he starts grabbing the thing. Grabbing it. Think of that a minute. Grabbing an angel. He starts grabbing him. Now you know as well as I know, an angel could have gone, Poop, you know, just popped him off. But somehow the angel just let him grab him. You know, kind of like a dad lets a kid grab him, you know, and pretends like the kid's winning. This, 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 this Jacob guy grabs this angel. And, he's, and you can tell, the Bible says they wrestled all night. Do you remember what Jacob was saying to him? He said, I'm not going to let you go unless you, unless you bless me. I believe what he's saying is, I'm not going to let you go until you help me fulfill my destiny. See, there's got to be something in us that when we think about the dreams God's given in our hearts, when we think about the, the senses that God has given us, the, the, these little ideas and visions that we get, that's not God teasing and mocking us. When God puts things in our hearts, it's because he wants to see those things come to pass. But well, we have to understand that if we're going to really see that kind of past, we've got to get a little more tenacious. But what the tenacity is about is God touch me, bless me. And do you remember what the angel did? He changed his name. But what did he do in the process as well? He crippled him. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? 
For God to deal and get out of our lives what He wants, we need to understand that sometimes we need to be crippled in how well we think we're doing. We need to understand that God is interested in more than what we can do for Him. God's interested in who we are. He's interested in why you do things. What are your motives? Well, what, you know, he wants to expose some of those hidden fears and some of the ways you justify yourself. He wants, that's why he lets us go through disappointments. Because he wants to see how you're going to respond when things don't happen. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So sometimes God allows things to be disappointing in our life just to see how we'll respond to heart sickness. He wants to know what we're really wanting from him. Just stuff or him. Sometimes he'll give us stuff and then take it from us. So you're kidding. I'm absolutely telling the truth. If you know anything about God, you know that God isn't just out to be a Santa Claus. He's interested in you. He doesn't want to just give you stuff. He wants to bring you to new levels in your life so that you can bring glory to him. And brother, it is not easy. It is not easy to get thumped a lot. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm convinced God wants you to get thumped just to see what you'll do. It's kind of like those guys that make those uh, uh, pots. You know, if you know anything about pottery, uh, sometimes they'll, put, they'll take a pot, a big pot, they put it in a kiln, and they, they want it in there for a certain amount of time. And then when they bring it out, they want to make sure the thing's cooked enough. So what a lot of times what the potter will do, he'll thump it. And when he thumps it, if, if it's ready, uh, or when it's, if it's not ready, it'll thud. It'll sound like, you know, it'll thud. But if it's ready, if it's had enough fire, it'll kind of ring. Bing, it'll have a little bing to it. See, what do you do when you're thumped? <laughs> See, I mean, what happens when somebody says, will you do a special? And then they say, well, we have to cancel it. Luna, <laughs> the anointing was on me. It's just not sensitive. What do you do? See, do you thud? Do you act like the devil in the name of Jesus? Are you listening to me? God's very interested in seeing how well you do when you're thumped. He'll, he'll exalt somebody that sings worse than you. He'll have you be misunderstood. He'll, he'll just do stuff just to mess with you. He'll do stuff where you're left behind or left out or looked over. Say, well, 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 why, why would he do that? Because God's more interested in you than what you can do. And he's interested in getting your heart in a place where, where you don't care so much anymore. It's more about him than it is what you're doing. But brother, sister, that's no easy deal. It's not an easy thing to be thumped by God. I'll never forget, I, 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 I was, uh, I, man, I've gone through, oh man, I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> I've lived, you know, the, you know, did you ever, did you ever, you know, if you ever, my mom, let me say this story about my mom. My mom hates half-empty Coke cans. And let me tell you why she does. Because one day she was drinking out of one and she realized that the man, one of our cousins that was staying in our house, was using that Coke can as a spittoon. She took two full gulps before she realized 
that she wasn't just drinking a flat Coke. She's standing by the sink heaving for about an hour. And to this day, that happened many years ago, to this day, just the other day we were over at our house and she found a Coke can. Hello. Who left this Coke can like that? Are you with me? I mean, she's freaked about those Coke cans. Now I'm telling you, God, and I don't know why he does it, but God says, listen, drink the half-empty Coke cans. Well, what if it's the what if it's what if it's been a spittoon? So, spit it out. I'm gonna tell you, listen, you need to understand something about God. God wants you to be willing to give up your life for Him. He wants you to be willing to say, God, I'll go that road. It's okay. I'll take the low road. I'll take that road. It doesn't matter to me. I'll take whatever road you give me. There's something in us that's got to die for God to be in control like that. And when it dies sufficiently, we become usable in God's hands. Early in life, as you were a believer, God salt and peppered you with dreams, visions. And uh, we get the voice of the Holy Spirit and, and, and and most of us don't have a hard time getting God's vision. Most of us have a hard time getting God's timing. We, we think that when God puts in our heart we're going to do this or do that, that we're ready to do it. Just because God tells you something doesn't mean you're ready to do it. You remember when Joseph got the dreams, everybody's going to bow down to me? When he was sharing it, he was thinking, do it now, do it now. And they hated him for it. Got him in trouble. See, people get dreams and they think, well, it's supposed to happen now. They're kind of like Jethro. Remember Jethro on the Clampets? <laughs> Jethro had a dream. He's going to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> I will be a brain surgeon. Well, well, Jethro, what kind of education? I'll seek for education. How many of you wouldn't let him do brain surgery on you? And that's the way we are. We, you know, here we are. You know, God wants us, speaks to hearts, you're going to touch lives. I'm going to use you with a fine scalpel of my spirit to touch lives and transform people. And you get it. Ooh, yes, I see it. I see it now. <laughs> Ed Gunger Ministries presents Jesus. Ed Gunger Ministries presents Jesus. And I'm ready to touch the world for God. I'm ready to touch the world for God. And I had a sixth grade education. Are you listening to me? See, we don't realize that, that, that even though God put that dream in our hearts, that because he puts the dream in your heart doesn't mean you're supposed to do it right now. For some of us, it means that we're going to have to go through a whole lot of development. So by the time the thing ever happens, you wouldn't care whether it happened or not. See, friend, God is interested in us. See, we're always looking to demonstrate, uh, you know, find God and, and, and reveal God to people by God, use me. What we mean by that, God, use me. We mean use my knowledge, use my gifts. 
Use my talents. Use my abilities. And we don't realize that God's interested in, in our motives. He's interested in our obedience. See, what's that? <laughs> you know what obedience is? That's when God asks you to do things you would never chose to do. You would never chose to do. See, a lot of times all we want to do is agree with God. Let's agree. Sometimes God says, I don't care what you think. Obey me. And it's like the water to the wicked witch of the west. Ah! You know what I'm saying? Because he wants us to do something. We don't, how many ever God ever asked you to do something you didn't want to do? Some of you is going to the church you go to. God called you there. Why did God call? Why did God call me here? I feel like I'm dying. That's the point. <laughs> Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds wrote, Men are looking for better programs. God is looking for better men. See, if we don't let God develop who we are, if we don't let God develop our character, what we end up doing in those unguarded moments and, and, and where we just let the flesh dominate, what will end up happening if we don't let God mess with us and straighten us up in our motive and in our heart, then the talents we have, the knowledge we have, the gifts we have, the abilities that we have, end up being nothing but an arm of the flesh. It's stuff that we... I mean, God wants to use your talent. God wants to use your abilities. God wants to use all that stuff, but... He can't use it if you're in control of them. Look at Acts chapter 7. This, this is interesting. Acts chapter 7. This is a great story because uh, uh, we can all relate, I think. It's about Mo. It says in um, verse uh, 20 of chapter 7, it was about this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. He was nurtured for three months in his daddy's home. After he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as his own son. Watch this. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power. Everybody say man of power. In words and deeds. I mean, this guy had something going for himself. He was, a, he was probably being groomed to be Pharaoh. But when he was approaching the age of 40... It entered his mind, or one version says, it came into his heart to visit the sons of Israel, his brethren, the sons of Israel. I want you to see this now. He's approaching the age of 40, and somehow God, I believe, put in his heart that he needed to help his brethren. He needed, I think he saw himself somehow in the night dream, somehow through some set of circumstances, Moses knew in his knower he knew inside that he was supposed to deliver Israel. Now watch what happens. It says in the next verse, verse, uh, uh, verse 24, he sees one of them being treated unjustly. Now watch what happens. He defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. See, in Moses' mind, he's thinking, aha, I felt for years that I'm supposed to, I mean, I feel in my heart I'm supposed to sing this song. And pastor just asked me to do a special. He thinks this is it. And he gets up there and, he, and, and in this particular scenario, he ends up killing this Egyptian. Watch what happens. Watch what he says. For he supposed 
that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. He thought they understood that God was granting them deliverance, but he didn't understand it. And he says, and on the following day, he appeared to them, and as they were fighting together, he tried to reconcile them to each other in peace. Men, your brethren, why do you injure one another? Come on, guys, let's get together. And the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed Moses away and says, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You don't mean to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian. He fled to the desert. Now, friend, I don't know if you can relate to this at all. But when God first put in my heart for me that I was supposed to be called to be a preacher, I, I would go up to people and I'd start trying to tell them a Bible verse I saw in the Bible or something neat that I saw. And I'd go up to them and i start talking to them. Let me show you this Bible verse. And right when I'm talking to them, they turn and talk to somebody else. I mean, I had zero impact in the lives of people. I thought that the church would understand that God was granting them deliverance through moi, but they understood it not. And I remember going and said, let me, you know, pastor, let me share. I mean, I had this call. I knew God called me. But I felt like since he called me, I better do something to make it happen. I want to be faithful. <laughs> Just so I'm faithfulness was in my best interest. I get to be what I feel in my heart I could be. Be all that I can be, you know, in God's army. And when people didn't receive me, I'm telling you what, every time somebody rejected me, I wanted to flee to the land of Midian. Hurt. There's something wrong with the body of Christ. Nobody's open to my gifts. I've got a call in my life. A passion for God, but nobody seems to be open to me. My pastor's closed. He's got a spirit of control. Nobody knows how holy you are, how wonderful you are, how incredible you are. Just you and God. Now let me ask you a question. Wasn't Moses called? Didn't it, God put it in his heart that he was, didn't he actually then deliver his, the children of Israel? Do you remember by the time God got around to doing it though? Moses is pushing sheep around, man. And he's pushing sheep around. God visits them to take off your shoes. All right. He says, uh, I want you to go. He said, can't you find somebody else? I tried this already once. He said, he said I can't even talk. He was a good talker back then. I can't do this thing. He thought he could do it then. See, you have to understand something about God. God, every one of God's greats, went through the desert. Say, what's the desert? You know what I believe the desert is? I believe the desert is the place of simplicity. The desert is the place of the basics. You know, where you just get basics. And you know, when you go to the desert, you're not thinking, oh, I better pick up my clothes from the cleaners because I want to go to the desert today. <laughs> I need everything pressed just right because I'm going to be in the desert all day under the hot sun. I want to have my suit just right. How do you know you don't think much? You don't care. I mean, as long as it covers the basics, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Hello? You know, 
don't care if you have some soda pop or, or some fancy drinks. Man, water's great. Who wants caramel-colored, bubbly, hot Coke? You just want water. You don't care about an air conditioner. Imagine dragging an air conditioner all around the desert with no place to plug it in. Man, you don't care about air conditioner. Forget about that air conditioner. You just want you a shade or a rock or something to get under. It's just the basics, just the basics. You don't care about makeup. You look like a wreck by midday anyway. And every day's a bad hair day. In the desert. You know what the bottom line of the desert is? You know what the victory of the desert is? You survived. I survived. It's just the basic stuff. My friend, my friend went with... Uh, with them, what do they call those guys? Wycliffe Bible translators, and he was with them for four years. And in his preparation, they go over and translate to in obscure countries and actually get in there and, and learn the language and make an alphabet. Some of these people don't even have alphabets or writing languages, so they go in and they, they learn their language, write an alphabet, and then translate scripture. It's a major. Some of those people are going to have crowns galore in heaven. But this particular friend of mine went there, and he said in his preparation, he said, "You know how they train us?" He said, "There was a three-month training thing they do out in California." And he said, they told us at the beginning of the school term, this three-month period, he said, they told us, their instructor said, there's going to be a day sometime during this semester where we're going to take you out into the desert three days out uh, by walk and just drop you off. We're not going to tell you what day it's going to be, and you're just going to have the stuff you bring to school that day. So you're going to have to learn how to survive. And you know one of the biggest uh, models they have about eating? If you can beat it, you can eat it. We're not talking gourmet food here. We're talking anything that moves. If you can beat the thing, you can eat the thing. See, I want to, I want to tell you something. See, you have to understand. God wants us to have, to, to, to get us into the desert so we're not so picky about, well, you know, pastor preached that message, but Ken Copeland preached it so much powerfuler. You know, I just, I just don't agree with every, what I heard in that. But when you shared that test, I just don't know. It had a little too much pepper in it. Oh, shut up. And you ought to sit there and think, bless God, if I can beat that thing, I'll eat it. Get something out of everybody. Find something good about everybody. Don't be thrown so easily. By someone that doesn't say it all just the way you want to hear it. Learn, man, I can go to, I mean, you can send me to a liturgical church. You can send me anywhere. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not big on a lot of liturgy stuff, but I went down to this, uh, you know, the Catholic temple thing down there. What do they call that thing? The cathedral. I went, I'm telling you, right down there by the arch. You know what I'm talking about? I went down there and I, I walked into that thing and I'm looking at this, all this arches and stuff and, and candles and, 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 and uh, mannequins. And, um... <laughs> I don't want to be, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm just, I don't relate culturally, okay? But I'm looking at all that, and you know, you can get in there and say, well, what, I just, I just think maybe this just isn't exactly the way it should be. Why are these candles here? You know, I didn't think, that, you know what, I walked in, I, th I walked in, I said, God, the people that built this, built it for you. And I was looking at it, I was thinking, the ceilings are so high. And I thought they must have been trying to show the grandeur of God. They must have been every brick they were building trying to say, to God be the glory. And, and, and I looked at those little candles. You know, you're supposed to light them when you pray. And I thought, what a cool idea, lighting a candle when you pray. Just letting that candle represent your prayer before God. 
I thought, cool, I could be me a Catholic here in a minute. Sometimes, say, why'd you do that? Because I was out there and I had to find something to beat and eat. I'll never forget sitting, listening to a preacher. Dear Lord, that guy, I mean, from the time he opened his mouth, he made me mad. He, he had a, he had, I don't mean to make fun of him. <laughs> well, maybe I do, kind of. <laughs> but not really, you know, he's a nice man. Kind of, I think. But he, he his, his, his hairline started right here. And so everything about him made me mad. You know, he was real cocky and real sharp and, and real mean to people and blaming the church for everything. He just had one of these real weird attitudes. And right away, I'm kind of like thinking, well, you punk. And I've got my guards all up. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, well, you can let me speak to you or not. <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> no, I didn't say I said, okay, Lord. I said, Father, let me get past him. Let me see you and him. And you know, the minute I said that, that man started saying things that started feeding my soul. And there, that was a life-changing service for me. So I'm telling you, learn the desert is the place where you just are not so picky anymore. Well, you don't care so much about everything just being exactly the way you wanted it to be. Where, where you don't care if you didn't have this great, incredible experience. You had a time, you got to open the book and, and, and see God's words to you. And you got a chance to pray and say, God, I love you. It's the basic stuff of prayer, the Bible, tongues, <laughs> worship. You know what I'm talking about? Just the simple, everyday stuff. That's the desert. It's a place of simplicity. And that is the place where God wants us to be and find our life. You know, Jesus, you know, if you really get into this desert thing, if you get a clue from it, you'll start wanting to live out there. You know, Jesus, the Bible said every time they turned around, Jesus was sneaking out to the desert. Wasn't he? John the Baptist just hung out there. As I found me a locust, man, I ain't coming into town. But John, you ought to dry clean those camel clothes. So man, just stay away from me, man. I'll just preach to you. You know, the major thing I've discovered in the desert is that when you get with God in the desert, all of a sudden, the, fr the frantic, desperate need for the accolades, the applause, the recognition of man dies. The fear of obscurity leaves you. You don't care if you remain internationally unknown. Because you know God knows you. And you know God. And that's all that matters. <laughs> when you come in from out of the desert and you lead a worship song, you don't care if everything was perfect or not. Sure, you want excellence. Sure, you contend for excellence. But you don't have to bite people's heads off to get it. And you can laugh when you look like a moron. Because it's no longer about you. A crater shows up once in a while. What do you do? Punt. 
The major discovery I made in the desert that has just been nourishing to my soul is beginning to find my identity, not in what I did, but in who I was. I began to find out that, that it's okay that I don't hit on all, four, all cylinders all the time. That it never was supposed to be about me anyway. It was about Him. That it was okay that my friends got things that I wish I could have done. That it was okay. I'll never forget going to, you know, I, I pastor up in rural America. That was part of my desert. God sent me out there. That's really true. We have 18,000 people in our town. It's this little town in the middle of nowhere. Well, actually, we're 20 miles from Pittsville. That's literally the name of the town, Pittsville. And I'm in this little town at Marshfield, Wisconsin. I'm sitting, I said, you know, you, know, you know what the vision God gave me? To pastor 25 people for 25 years. Are you kidding me, brother? That's, now you have to understand, he gave me that vision in 1980, when if you had any kind of vision, it had to be to take off with the world by the weekend. So I said, God, I'll do it. You know why I did it? You know why I told God that commitment? Because of the fact that I had to disassociate from what I did. I couldn't fit. See, the world tries to feel good by success. The church, we don't have to feel good by success. We already win. We're already complete in Christ. It's like Adam and Eve when they woke up and came alive. God didn't say, okay, now let's see you prove yourself, prove your worth. I'm not so sure I love you. Let's see how well you do the garden. Ten do it. He didn't make them human doings. He didn't make them human becomings. He made them human beings. They found themselves in a place of unconditional love, acceptance, and significance. Not because of what they did, but because of who they were. They just were. That's why they were loved. They just were. That's why they were worth. They just were. That's why they had significance. And when, it, when we lost all that in the fall, all of a sudden, you know, Adam said, well, oh, you better do something. Then you can be like God. Isn't that an irony? They already were like God. But if you do this, you'll be like God. 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 C.S. Lewis wrote a, a, a little novel called Paralanda, I think is the name of the book. And it's a book about these, this, these two people that are on a perfect planet somewhere else. And some kind of a tempter comes. It's a place that had no evil. And a tempter comes and gives the woman a mirror. And the mirror was the start of evil. How do I look? How do I act? Am I saying... Everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be right. Because if it's not, I might not look perfect. See, God, God said, break the stupid mirror. You're complete in Christ. I'm not saying don't pursue excellence, but pursue excellence out of wholeness. Don't pursue excellence for wholeness. Who are you? How do you weigh that out? What is your identity? The desert teaches you it's more about who you are inside because of relationship to God than it is what you did 
you know Chelsea Clinton, you know the president's daughter. I saw her after President Clinton was nominated. I saw her on the front page of the sports section of the USA Today magazine, or newspaper. And when I saw her, it, said, it showed a picture of her in the front of a goal. And she was the goalie for a, for a private school in Washington, D.C. And here she is on the front page of the USA Today sports section. She's a goalie for this team. Now, when I saw that, I didn't think, golly, Chelsea Clinton must be one honking goalie. I didn't think she must be so incredible that they put her on the front page of the USA sports section. She must be an amazing gal in the, you know, in this, in this goalie zone. No, I didn't think that at all. What I thought was, check it out. Chelsea Clinton, Chelsea Clinton plays soccer. Chelsea Clinton plays soccer. child of God is a preacher. And Gunga, the child of God, leads worship. What makes what we do important is not what we do. It's who we are. What you do is important because who you are is important. And somehow we need to be, begin to redefine who we are. We're children of God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? God has, repeatedly, God has repeatedly provoked me in this regard. He's repeatedly kept telling me, Son, quit looking for who you are. Quit looking for what you're worth. Quit looking for your significance from the standpoint of accomplishment, talent, and having stuff. Stop it. He's challenged me in my own life to start identifying who I am and my worth and my significance based upon the fact that I'm in relationship to him and not based upon the fact that I'm doing stuff for him. I need to close this. We have a few things. Five, maybe four. Whatever you'll give me. I mean, I'll give you a couple, okay? These things, let me write, write these down. These are five things or whatever I can get it, squeeze out of you. How many give me ten more minutes? Stick your hand up. 5, 10, 15, 20, 20, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, okay, yeah. All right. Plenty of time now. <laughs> five things. Ever say five things? Write this down. If you get your identity through what you do, you'll get mixed up. And these are five ways you'll get mixed up. Number one way you'll get mixed up if you construct your identity through what you do instead of through who you are with God. The number one thing you'll do that's wrong is your vision and your dream will be bigger than God. I'm going to ask you about that because I'll guarantee you, his visions and dreams are bigger than he is to us. What do I mean by that? It, it, it's just a whole lot more fun. I can sit around for hours and talk about how we could reach the city and how we could do this and how we could do that. Or sit around for hours and talk about, boy, we could improve the, the music ministry if we did this and if we did that, if we did this, we did that. Jabber, 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 jabber for hours. And then go over and try to pray. After five minutes, I get bored. I think, God, why do you do this? Why, can't I, why isn't it just the exact opposite? Why can't I just get lost in prayer and jabber a little? Why are his dreams so much bigger than him? Why are they so much more exciting to talk about 
then sometimes him. See, God says, because I we're the ones that have to flip-flop that around. We're the ones that have to press in until he's bigger than the dreams. But you'll never do that if you construct who you are from what you do. Because the bigger the vision, the more important you are, the better you'll feel about yourself. God wants us to lay down the visions, lay down the dreams, and say, God, I'm following you, and you will bring them to pass. See, I'll tell you, when I walked in here, I'll tell you, it's the same thing. I've been in this thing for 25 years. And to this, and I love God. I mean, I love God. And, and, and when I walked in here this afternoon, you know, I walked in, and it was about 2.20. We were a little bit late, and, and you guys were all up here praying on the floor, and I'm thinking, great, this is cool. You're praying out there, and I'm sitting in the back, and you're praying, and... And I'm sitting in the back, and I'm thinking, well, what time I can get done praying? And uh, they kept praying, and I thought, well, okay, I'll pray a little, you know, like, like, like I, I wanted $3 worth of God. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just enough to, to say I've been in His presence, but not enough to change. Yeah, I'd like $3 worth of God, please. <laughs> but after about an hour, you know, I'm, I'm starting to kind of, you know, after, well, first you, first you get mad, you know. First, first, I'm thinking, you know, let's, let's just, just do something else right now. I, you know, I just got back from the plane, and, and I'm hot, and, and let's do it, and let's do the stuff. And then I, after a while, you start getting convicted because you're an idiot. So either you clam up and say, it just isn't worth it, this thing wasn't worth it, or you just decide to repent and get in. See, that's the crux. See, you have to understand, God purposefully... Does stuff to you just to see how you're going to respond. He does it just to get your goat. Because he's trying to see how you're going to... Either you'll repent and go for it, or you'll just let that little thing drive you back further and you miss your blessing. And you can't figure out, I don't tell what God didn't open any gates for me. Go ahead and push those, those sheep around in the wilderness for another 40 years. So finally, you know, we went long enough. I said, okay, God. And then by the time you get in it, you don't want to quit. I mean, when you actually get in it, you don't want to quit. That's when you know it's okay to quit. Because all of a sudden, God's bigger than your plan. God's bigger than your deal. Well, you know, brother, I agree with that. That's just what I've been trying to tell my pastor. But he cuts off worship after 15 minutes. The man just doesn't have a revelation. That's why God sent you to him. So you can die and suffer and serve him with all your heart. Don't let the vision get bigger than God. Don't let the vision get bigger than God. Don't let the vision get bigger than God. Number two. If, you're, if you let the visions, or you, let, you try to construct who you are by what you do, you'll start getting discontented. Because there's always more to be done. And after you do it, it loses its own. So it's always the pursuit of more, more, more. You start foaming at the mouth. More, more. You're like a gambler, like a drunk, only you're a Christian. A minister. More. More salt, more, more worship, more time, more opportunity. I want more opportunity. And you hate your life. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 that one of the manifestations of the curse of the broken law is that you'd wake up in the morning and wish it were night. You'd be in the night and wish it were morning. And your heart would be full of dread. Because you don't like it the way it is. Why doesn't God open that door? Why doesn't things change for me? Why don't I have more opportunity? Why can't I do what I want to do? I don't understand it. Ah, ah. That's a very good sign that you're in trouble. You need to look at your life and look at heaven. God spoke to me one time. He said, don't live in the I'd rather be, son. He said, don't live in the I'd rather be. He said, don't say I'd rather be this or that. He said, if you want to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. He says, evil, parts of evil, is living in the I'd rather be. I wish this were happening. I'd rather that happen. If only that would happen. If only this would change. If only that would change. See, the devil would like to convince you that the grass is greener over there. Over there, over there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The grass is out there somewhere. Rita, if I could just change husbands. If I could just change churches. If they just get rid of that worship leader, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> For you suppose that the brother would understand that you were brought to them to deliver them, but they understand it not. If only, if only, if only. God said, listen, this is the way the Bible says to the Christian. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. Where? Listen, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass will be greener where you are if you'll let him shepherd you. Lie down where you are. I don't care if it's dry and crackly and ugly and icky. If you'll let Jesus shepherd your life, he'll make you love the dry crackliness. And it'll turn into luscious green. Americans have bought into, if only this, if only that, if only that, if only this. God's calling Christians to realize, man, it doesn't matter. I'm content whether things are great, whether things are horrible. I can do all things through Christ. That's the context of that verse. I can do all things through Christ. He would talk about being bummed out. You know, we talk about victory, victory, victory. And God gives us, aren't you glad for God's victory? But sometimes, you know, when we talk about victory so much, we forget that sometimes victory implies battle, battle, battle. not be in the place God's going to bring you into. And I'll tell you something else. The place you have right now, you may not always hold. And if you construct your identity from where you are right now, you're, getting, you're setting yourself up for destruction. I mean, if, if you are, if you think, I love Jesus. He's my Lord. I love to serve Him. I'm the worship leader. But you can't sing very well, but you think you can. And the church grows, and all of a sudden the excellence grows past you. And they look at you and say, sorry, we're going to put someone else in. <laughs> I'm crushed. I'm destroyed. They're rejecting me. 
yourself silly child of God caught up more in the fact they're leading worship than that they're a son or daughter of God it was John the Baptist I mean John the Baptist is preaching crowds are following him his cousin shows up the dub deal happens he said this is the Christ Jesus takes off and what do the crowds do they follow Jesus all of John's disciples going, John! John! They're going, John, the crowds, you know that guy you got started in the ministry? You know that guy over there? Your cousin? You got him started in this. And uh, now everybody's going to him. Offerings are down, John. You know what John said? Listen to it. When God spoke this to my heart, it rattled my very inside. John responded by saying, no one has anything but what the Father gives him. John said, he must increase. I must decrease. God spoke to my heart. says, do you only have faith to increase or do you have faith to decrease? Oh, 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 oh. I'll never forget one morning <laughs> I was one morning I was I was praying in the church. I remember right where I was standing and I was praying and, and the thought came to my mind, wouldn't it be something if we had over three hundred people in our church? I didn't understand the largest evangelical church in our city, evangelical church, is two hundred. Right now our church is about seven hundred, which is a miracle. But back then, when we when we we, we had about two hundred and twenty five and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be something? because I mean, we're a wild charismatic weird church you know we we you know we kick and scream and stuff we're wild you know we're, we're, the, we're the fringe of the body of Christ if you wear a real nice suit you got to go over to the Episcopalians you can't come by us but you know we're a wild group you know we're out there it's fun and uh, so anyway uh, I'm thinking to myself God wouldn't it be something if 300 people came to this church I mean that'd be a milestone I didn't even pray it all I did was think it about three months later six, three, six months later they came up to me and after Sunday morning service said, Pastor, we have over 300 people here today. I thought, I said, cool. When I said that, and when he told me that, it was like a cloud came over me. And I remember going home, and I didn't think much about it. The next day I went to the church to pray. Walking around the auditorium, and I, I can't, it's like my prayers were going, you, you, like I'm throwing stones. Bunk. Praise you, bunk. You know what I'm talking about? And so I, so I put it into, I, I put it into high gear tongues. You know, not just oh, said broken man. Oh, somebody get up and then I get somebody. You know, high gear tongues. I, I, I remember even doing my bonanza tongues. You know, oh, said a bongo, bongo, get a bongo. Oh, said a bongo, bongo, get a bongo. Oh, said a bongo, bongo, get a Because when I do my when I do my bonanza tongues, I see fire. So I'm doing everything I know. I'm doing everything I know, and my words are just going chew bonk, chew bonk, chew bonk. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, after an hour and a half of praying, I want you to understand. After five minutes, it seemed like an hour and a half, but I went a whole hour and a half, and in my, the heaven was closed. I said heaven was closed. I couldn't figure it out. 
And all of a sudden, after about an hour and a half, because I, 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 I grabbed the angel, I'm not going to let go. I want to know what's happening here. And all of a sudden, it was, it was as if I was back three months or six months before, exactly where I was standing when I thought the thought, wouldn't it be something if we were running 300 people? And God spoke to me. He said, son, if you ever construct your joy from what you do, I will leave you. I said, God, this is tough stuff. I mean, he'd have me around people, you know. I'd go around preachers. You know, preachers sometimes just brag all the time. And somebody come in there and say, yeah, praise God. We're running 120 people. Bragging about it. You know, we're running hundreds more. And I wanted to say, oh, yeah? <laughs> well, <laughs> we just happened to be just about running uh, 300 people. Are you with me? But you know what God said to me, do? He said, shh. He said, shh. He, this is what he told me. He said, celebrate their victory. I said, God, they got wrong motives. You don't know their motives. Celebrate their victory. So he bite my tongue. I'm going, play the Lord. You want a hundred and twenty people? Play God, God bless you. Hallelujah. Say, why did God do it? Because it messed with me. It tore me up. Number three. If you construct your visions and dreams by, or excuse me, if you conduct your, construct your identity from what you do, you will pollute what you do. Don't you realize that God has called us to be pure vessels of God? That means that the vessels should be pure enough that the stuff can go through it without being polluted by it. I'll never forget going over to my wife's house. She, her mom's a wonderful cook and... We went over to her house, and the, her mom, over the years, we've been married for almost 20 years, and uh, so I dated her for four, a couple years before that. So for all these years, I've been going to their house and eating these, these she makes these, these stuffed the, stuff peppers, green things with stuff in it. <laughs> so she makes these stuff, and I'm telling you what, at first, when I first saw them, I thought, you know, because I went into green peppers. But over the years, I started liking those things. And I'm looking forward to going over and eating that stuff, pepper stuff. And so I, I, one day we're over there. This was maybe about four years ago, five years ago. We're over there. It's been years I've been eating stuff, peppers, enjoying those puppies. And here we are, sitting at the dinner table. She, I scoop them in. I say, ooh, stuffed peppers. I'm scooping them on my plate, you know, and I'm getting them ready, pouring a little ketchup on them, you know, and starting to eat them. All of a sudden, tasting like aluminum. It tasted like aluminum. Aluminum. I said, do you use aluminum salt on this? <laughs> she said, I said, what do you mean? I said, I said Mom, I said, these taste funny. I said, what happened? Did you put something else in there? She said, no. I said, well, why do they taste? It tastes like metal. She said, well, I got a new pot. I said, show me that new Show me that pot. Because I had the suspicion the pot was the culprit. So I brought it out, sure enough, it was a brand new aluminum pot. 
And I said, Mom, don't use this pot. You know why it was a bad pot? Because it wouldn't just cook the food. It had to make a statement through the food. It didn't want to just let stuff come through it and not get any glory. It had to say, I'm cooking the food. I cooked the food. I cooked the food. I cooked the food. I want to say, shut up, you aluminum pen. Get out of my stuff. But no, it has to make a statement. See, it has, I've, had, I've had vessels like that. I've had little plastic vessels. I'm thinking to myself, I'm so thirsty, man. I would love some cold water right now. I go to the refrigerator to get some cold water. I'm looking, ooh, there's a, cold, there's a pitcher in there full of ice cold water. I pull it out. I pour it in the glass. I start to drink it. And the second gulp, I realize I'm drinking liquid plastic. It's, because this, this, this thing that the, the water's in didn't just let it be in there. It had to make a statement. It had to just let everyone know, I'm holding the water. I'm holding the water. I'm holding the water. It's me. It's me. It's, have I mentioned it's me holding the water? See, if you construct your identity by what you do, you've got to let everyone know it was you. You know, God spoke to you one day. He said, son... He said, you need to divorce yourself from Ed Gunger. I said, what? <laughs> you know, do I change my name? I mean, what is he talking about? He said, because I'm going to use you in ways that people will identify. They'll say it's Ed Gunger. He said, but you need to know it isn't Ed Gunger at all. So when they, when they say Ed Gunger, you need to realize it's not about you. It's about what I'm doing through you. He said, divorce yourself from it. I'm convinced that's why Old Roberts could call it Old Roberts University. Because in his mind, he's not all robbers. See, so God told me, he said, divorce yourself from your name. And you know what else he told me? The second thing he told me that same day, he said, are you willing that I use you and uh, you don't get the credit? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> see, he was messing with me, see. Tell you, God, it just seems like he just over these years, you know, after, you know, you go through this constant God bringing stuff up and, oh, you know, a door opens and he says, no, nope, don't go that direction. Say, but it's a really a good door. It's really a good door. <laughs> but God just is testing you. Are you who you are because of what you do? Are you who you are because of who you are in me? Can you do something and not add to it? I tell you, there's times I listen to a song and here's this girl or guy standing up and singing. They're not, they don't have the greatest voices. But they're singing and, and, and as they're singing, you're going to heaven. And you're going, oh, this is so wonderful. And there's been other times that I hear somebody singing and it's better. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, they have great voices, but while they're singing, you're going, I like the song, but... What is that taste? Did you, ever, did you ever get encouraged by someone and get more discouraged after you were encouraged by them? Well, you know, I used to have that problem until uh, the Bible, I, it was revealed to me by the Holy Ghost <laughs> that, uh, you know, if you just repented this area, you'd be free like me. And they're trying to encourage you, but all the time they're encouraging you, they think, don't encourage me. Don't encourage me right now. Are you listening to me? Some, some people, when they give you their knowledge, they're not just giving you their knowledge, they're giving you 
Have I mentioned I'm giving you this knowledge? Did I bring up the fact that I, I am sharing this with you? Isn't this an incredible revelation that I am giving you? I might write a book about it, you know. Because God's called me to the ministry. Have I mentioned it's me that I'm talking about? To me be the glory. To me be the glory. To me be the glory for the things I have done. I've read the entire Bible. Number four, we're going to get, number four, if you identify what you're, you, who you are by what you do, you'll think of yourself differently than you should. How do you view yourself? You know how I view myself? From Romans 3, I am a toad. That's a paraphrase. But the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. You know how I view myself? When I fail, I always tell God, God, well, that's the best I can do. Apart from you, the reason I failed was because I tried. I used to think the reason I failed was because I didn't try hard enough. And I tried a WWF wrestling style of Christianity. Oh, I'll start it this time. I'll go for it this time. I'll really serve you this time. But Christianity isn't about the flesh. Christianity is about Him. If you construct yourself by what you do, then you'll be condemned half the time when you don't do what you think you're supposed to do. And you'll be in pride the other half the time when you do do what you were supposed to do. See, condemnation and pride are the same coin, just different sides. God spoke to me one time. You know how he spoke to me? I saw this gal who was rather large. And she lost a bunch of weight. She went on one of these diets, you know, where she slender right up. didn't recognize her. But when, I, when she was large, she was one of the sweetest gals you ever met. But when she got all skinny, she was all snooty and, you know, something to behold. Here I am walking down the street. Are you with me? I mean, she's thinking she's some babe. And I thought to myself, you know what I thought to myself? I thought, I thought, here's a gal that probably felt horrible about her physique. And so to the degree that she felt horrible is to the degree she got in pride. I'm telling you right now. It, 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 don't feel bad about being an idiot. Just own up to it. You know, Paul concluded it. Paul, you know how Paul concluded it? He said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. He goes, I'm a wretch. See, most Christians don't want to just settle in that. I am satisfied with being a wretch. So well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You mean you're not a good guy? Listen, I'm satisfied in my own strength that I'm a wretch. That makes me lean on him big time. I tell God every day, God de-wretch me. God be in me what I can't be. 
See, God didn't come to repair you from being a wretch. God came to replace you. He wants to be. That's why Paul said, I boast in my weaknesses. Most of us cover them up. Weaknesses? Well, what do you mean? What do you mean weakness? I'm serving God. What are you talking about? See, God, Paul said, here, I didn't show me. Look at those weaknesses. He said, because when I'm weak, then is he strong. He said, man, he said, I can't make it. I can't make it without God. Every great saint of God throughout history were very comfortable with being wretches. They said, we're wretches. We're morons. We can't make it happen. But we found out God can make it happen. See, but if you construct your identity instead of being in Christ and what he can do and how he can replace you and flow through you and you think it's all about what you do, you'll not act properly evaluate yourself and you'll think you're supposed to be good all the time. And so you'll be a Christian performer, always falling short or else lowering your standards so you always hit it and live in pride the rest of your life. Thinking you're doing something for God and all you're doing is being dumb. And wood, hay, and stubble that'll burn in the end. And you think you did something for God, God will scratch his head and said, Duh. Duh. Wasn't about you, it's about me. Oh. Come on. Or you won't evaluate yourself properly because you'll think of yourself too highly. You'll think that you're better than what you are. Or you'll think of yourself too lowly. You know, God spoke to me, Kent, right when you were up here taking that offering. You know what he said to me? He said, two kinds of pride, or humility, rather. He said, there's a humility that when, God, when, when, when you walk into a room, you take the lowest seat, not the highest. Because you're saying in your heart, I'm not going to take a place that hasn't been given me. That's humility. Then there's a false humility that takes place when the guy who's running the banquet says, Hey, come up here and sit in the best spot. And you say, No. 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 This is fine. God said, I'm calling you to sit in a higher place. What your humility got you will keep you from bringing to the higher place. Reevaluate your humility. Let me bring you higher. Okay? <laughs> Get the tape. Let me tell you something. I, I, I need to shut up here, but listen to me. Let me tell you something. Your callings are from God. He gave them to you. You don't have to identify yourself with your calling. Identify yourself with God. Paul said, I'm a servant of Jesus who happened to be called to be an apostle. But he identified himself as a servant of Jesus. Keep your identity with him, not with what you do. Because God, and, and listen, I, I don't mean to disappoint you, but some of you aren't called very highly. Some of you will be called higher than others. I don't want to hear it. You know why? Because you're an American. 
We all want to be stars. We don't want to be so Listen, if you love the desert, you don't want to be a star. You want to be obedient. And God, I don't know why God chose to do with Kent what he did. I'd love to be able to sing like that guy. Why didn't he give me his set of vocal cords? Why do I sound like a little girl when I talk? You know what I'm saying? I hate it. I wish I had this incredible voice. You know. But I don't. I got this little wimpy voice. Oh, wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. You know, God, why'd you make me thus? And say, if you're not careful, you'll wish you had what somebody else had. That's just of the devil. That's what Satan said. Look at me. How wonderful I am. Look at God. I want what God wants. I will ascend. I'm beautiful. I will ascend. See, if you're not careful, you'll look at yourself and get an inflated uh, sense of yourself and want what somebody else has, thinking you're promoting the kingdom of God, but you're using the principle of Satan. Listen, God, listen, God, I'll never forget when he spoke to me. I drove up to, our, to a streetlight, and I wasn't even thinking about God at the time. I was driving. And I drove to this corner, and this little lady, bag lady, she's a little bag lady. You ever see, you don't see those little bag ladies. She's a little bit, kind of a street person. And she was walking across the street about this pace. And I'm, I'm sort of just sitting there, watching the light, waiting for the light, hoping she'll get across so I can go across without having to wait for her. You know, and I'm nice, you know, I'm going to cross with a hit or anything. But she's crossing, she's crossing, and as she, I'm telling you, as she crossed the street, God spoke to me. Get this. He said, I could touch her and make her the pastor of your church. I said, that's encouraging. But you know what he's saying? He's saying, it's not about you, Ed Gunger. It's about me. I mean, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, God pulled his hand from him and he went just like an animal. He's an animal out there. If God pulled his hands over off of you, no telling what you'd be like. Yikes! Listen, God gives people what God gives people. And God wants us to rejoice in that. To rejoice in our lot, in our place, and not lust for somebody else's place. And I'll tell you something else. God loves people. My, my little boy, little Dave, little Robert, he was about two and a half years old. We lost him in Tantara down here one day. For just about, it was only about a half hour, but they shut the place down. I can't tell you, if you're not a parent, if you've never lost your kid in a crowd, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's like somebody ripped into your gut and starts twisting it. And, 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 and you just feel horrible. I didn't think, well, I've got a couple other kids. No big loss. We'll just go on. No, I, I would have done anything to reach that little boy. Yeah. I'd, have done, I'd done anything. I'd put. I'd gone ever. I'd have done everything in my power to find that little boy. And when we found him, thirty minutes, later, oh, I tell you, I saw. Oh man, I can't tell you the joy in my heart. I'll tell you something. God's a father, and every single person matters to Him. And I tell you what, if God gifted every one of you to be a Billy Graham, there's people that would never get touched. God told me, he said, son, I would have come to die for one. One. Why? How many of you wouldn't die for one of your kids? I don't care if you had 20. There's not one of them you wouldn't die for. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. There's not one of them you wouldn't die for. Give your life for. There's not one person Jesus wouldn't have died for. Here's what he said to me. If I would die for one, if I would die for one, why do you think I wouldn't limit the giftedness of people so that they could reach a few. If I would die for one, why would I give somebody so great? Listen, some people get, get around real gifted people and they so outshine those people, they can't even relate to them. If I brought Billy Graham on your job, they'd be so enamored by Billy Graham 
They would never be able to share their heart. They'd be too freaked out of his giftedness. God limits you so that you fit. So that you kind of just have a little bit of glow about you, just enough to get their attention, but not enough to blow them away. You can't sing that greater. You can't do this that greater. You can't lead that. Why? God did it on purpose so he can relate you to some people that no one else could reach but you. Say, brother, I don't like that. Well, grow up. It's not about what you like. It's to God be the glory. He's wanting to reach people. If you get into the desert, you won't care. But now let me tell you something else. Just give you a little glimmer of hope in case you are lusting for power. By the time you work through getting content, being pretty much of a nothing, oftentimes God will prepare you for bigger things. You know why? Not because he necessarily destined you for bigger things, but because God has so many disappointments. God told me, he said, son, are you going to be one of my thousands of disappointments or will you be someone I can trust? You know what he said to me? He said, if you're faithful, he said, because I have so many disappointments, in your faithfulness, not only will you do your destiny, but I'll give you unfulfilled destinies to fulfill in your life. Some of you are going to fulfill destinies other people never fulfilled. If you're faithful in what you're doing right now. But you've got to fall in love with what you're doing. You know, I pastor a church up in Wisconsin. I've always felt funny about being a pastor. I've always felt funny about being in charge. I always wanted to help somebody else. And one day, I, I, I didn't think much about it, but one day I'm walking around in the church one, and, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, Brian was supposed to pastor this church. I said, I know he was talking about. Brian was a guy who'd gotten saved that I loved and served. He was a great youth leader, and he ended up getting backslidden and getting, becoming a drunk. And God said, he was supposed to pastor this church. This was his destiny. But because of your faithfulness, I've given you your destiny plus his. I'm going to grab as many as I can. I said, I'm going to grab as many as I can. All right. I want to be as faithful as I can be to God to get as many. I, I hope I go into heaven. He says, you know, you've done a thousand destinies. Woo! Yes! Woo! Woo! <laughs> but all the way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we don't get fulfilled or we don't, get, we don't construct who we are by what we do. We do by who we are in Him. And then number five, and I'll, you know, boy, I can't believe I did all this. And you're actually looking at me still. And this is it. First, I'll close with this verse. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to ask my brother Mark to come up here. I want to uh, sing a song that we did on the Hosanna tape that we did that he wrote called You're the Love of My Life. But listen to this verse. This is First Thessalonians chapter 4. Oh, <laughs> listen to this. This is verse 10. For indeed you do practice love toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Listen to this now. Make it your ambition. Everybody say, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, work with your own hands, as we commanded you. Say, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, work with your own hands, tend to your own business, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. See, it's just not American. We make it our ambition to stay busy for God all the time. Busy, busy for God. Busy, busy for God. God said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You know what God spoke to me? He's told me this for years. Kent, you know what he said to me? He said, 
He said, he said, resist success. I said, what? He said, resist success. And I, was, I went on a fast for 14 days. It's been a while, as you can tell. 14 days. You know what he told me? He said, do you have faith enough to fail? He said to me, you're not worthy to succeed unless you're willing that another do what you've been called to do. Do you have faith to fail? You see, God wanted you to fail. No, God didn't want me to fail. God just didn't want me to have to succeed. Do you have faith enough to fail? What if you lost all your positions you have right now? Who would you be? As God is my witness. God knows, I can't convince you of this, but God knows He could take everything from me. It wouldn't matter to me. They could take the church over, do everything, throw me out, and I'll be... Co- man, I'm, man I'm, I'd like it. I'd like being home more. I'd get me a job at a factory and I'd smile every day. See, see, I used to be where you sit. And I used to think, like some of you may be thinking, when I went to Bible school, I'd sit there and I'd think, here'd come the ministers. And they'd walk through the halls, you know, and... You know, everybody's just, here they come. They'd walk down, they'd get up in the front and go, Jesus is Lord! Jesus is alive! And I just think to myself, you know, they're sure happy boys. They're telling me it's Jesus. But I have Jesus. Why aren't I as happy as they are? What do they have that I don't have? Well, one thing was... Another thing was the duds. Another thing was the house. The success. And so in the back of my mind I thought, yeah, I love Jesus and all that, but it's Jesus plus opportunity. Jesus plus position, honor, abundance. Not that, you know, you can't love that stuff. I mean, you can't get it. But, but come on, come on. You know, come on. We all know. We all know, you know. I'd be happy too if I had a happy marriage. Like you do. I'd be happy if I had that nice house. I'd be happy if I had that nice car. I'd be happy if I had the success you had. See, suddenly in the back of your mind, you can have a seed like that and it'll destroy your life without you realizing it. God had to take me. God, God put me right in a meeting where here's this great man, T.L. Osborne, with another very well-known minister. And when they got together, I was a photographer, and I got there to take a picture, and they're behind the scenes, and I thought they'd start jabbing about this and jabbing about that and kicking and talking about some new car they bought or something. And they looked at each other with tears in their eyes, and they said, you know, we've got to reach more people. And I'm looking, I thought, these guys really mean this stuff. And I'd catch them praying. And I'd catch them loving God, and I'd catch them helping. I thought, wait a minute, this... God had to let me see that behind the scenes because I thought it was something else. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you'll think it's something else. You'll think, man, someday, you know, someday I'll be up in the pulpit just like you, Ed Gunger. Maybe Ken will ask me next year, never know. Because really, I could do a better job than you're doing. Um, I, man, I can say funny things. Who believe how people tell me that? As though I'm trying to be funny. I, you kidding me? I, the last thing I'm trying, all I'm trying to do is communicate. It just comes out weird. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be funny anymore and I just got back from the moon two minutes ago. I'm not, I don't, I'm not thinking about that. 
But some people say, yeah, I, know, yeah, I got your ticket. <laughs> yeah, I'm funny like you. All I need, in fact, the only thing between me and you is you got the call and I'm next. The only difference between me and you is that, is that you just have some opportunity that if they'd known who I was, they'd call me first because I'm better than you are. <laughs> Never forget shaving. 1985, I thought I was ready. I've been serving God for years, and I'm shaving. I had a sense of destiny. I had a sense. I mean, that year before, we'd been involved in television. Uh, that year before, we'd been involved in all this stuff. That year before, I was asked to be on this 10-member board of an international thing, and they were telling us how they were going to bring this forward, and this was going to happen, all these things. And I'm thinking to myself, God, this is a year. I'm ready. I'm coming out of the desert. This is the year. I'm ready. And I'm shaving January, first Sunday in January, 1985, and I'm shaving. And as I'm shaving, I'm looking in the mirror, and God said, you're not as good as you think you are. And I stopped mid-shave. Mid-blade. And he said it again. You're not as good as you think you are. He told me to resign from everything I was doing. He told me to pull out of everything that made me look good. He told me to do a bunch of stuff. I thought, God, they're going to think I'm an idiot. This is a good thing. This is wonderful. You don't know what you're doing. He said, I'm calling you into... When I said I was going to bring change, I didn't mean I was going to bring change to you externally. I was bringing you to the place of changing you internally. Do you know how many people won't do it? They won't do it. You know what God said to me just a few years ago? He said, I was walking in my bathroom right before service out from my office. I'm walking in the bathroom and God said, they're going to have to die like you've died. And I stopped in my tracks and I began to weep. I said, no. I knew exactly what he meant. He was talking about the people in the church. I thought that God had higher requirements for ministers than people in the church. And he said, they're going to have to die like you die if you're going to ever, if they'll ever hit their destiny. I said, no, God, it can't be true. It's too hard. It'll cost them too much. It messes with them too much. They're Americans. They find their whole life by external construction. You mean to tell me that they've got to restructure their whole lives? He said, yes. I said, oh, God. Back to the drawing board. What I'm telling you, friends, listen, I can't do this for you. Nobody can do it for you. But I'm telling you, either you make Jesus your life or you're not going anywhere. When you'll be able to shine, you'll be able to make other people feel good. It'll be a social club, just like in the Kiwanis Club, you could rise to some prominence. There's a difference between being in the Kiwanis Club and being in the church. You need to decide in your heart to make your identity Jesus Christ. You need to decide in your heart that He is the love of your life, that He is the joy of your morning, that He's the song of your heart, and that you'll praise His holy name. Decide tonight. Take your whole life and give it to God. Say, okay, God, let's go to the desert. I'll volunteer. And get ready to get messed with. But the beauty of it is, is that you'll get to the point where you'll love the desert like the little acorn you know you ask an acorn who are you he'll say I'm a tree and you say no you're not you're a little acorn he thinks he isn't because inside he just sees himself in a tree and if you brought a whole bunch of wood and said I'm going to build my tree house in you it'd say go right ahead because it doesn't know it's tiny it doesn't know it's insignificant so when it says, you show it in the mirror, it'll go, oh, oh. Because when it sees itself, it cries. Some of you, if you really see yourself like God sees you, it's going to freak your head. 
You're a lot littler than you think you are. Say, so what do I do? God says, let me push you in the ground, cover you up, let you rot and die. No! And then he'll push you under and you'll think, but you know, if you go under the dirt and you die, all of a sudden you'll start getting these roots out. You'll think, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait a minute. A little water over here. A little nitrogen. A little, little stuff. Oh, wait a minute. Sewer. Sewer. You know that by the time that little oak acorn has anything up above, it's already got a well-defined root system? And by the time there's a tree big enough for a kid to be in it, you think that oak tree's thinking about that? It's thinking about breaking into somebody's sewer three blocks away. Go, man, oh, left, left. Go down there, left. Go down there, get that. Oh, dig it up. Grow, grow. Nitrogen, water, sewer, sewage, raw sewage. You know where the life of an an oak tree is? Underground. What happens if there's a small matter to what's going on under the ground? You want to know the honest truth? This is, this, this, we've just been swinging tonight a little bit. You want to know where the joy of my life is? As God is my witness, I do not have to preach here. As God is my witness, I would never have to preach again to be happy. Because I do not get anything out of what I do. Other than the fact, I know he's smiling. That's all. And if I know I'm pleasing him, and I'll never forget when he told me that, 32,000 feet in the air, he said, son, you're pleasing me. And I broke into tears, weeping, God, I actually can please you. There's nothing like that, family. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about what we do. It's about him. Let's stand. Oh, God. Sing this way. You're the love of my life. In the joy of my morning. You're the joy of my morning. You're the song of my heart. You're the song of my heart.